morning. I love how all those songs went together and they weren't even planned that way. It's amazing what the Lord does. 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Now, Joe, before I get into the message today, we're going to try something today, okay? I didn't tell you about this before, but Joe, you and I work well together so we can do this, okay? I've been getting complaints from people watching online that my sermon is not loud enough. So, and in here, I don't want it too loud, but during the online, I need to make myself louder. So we're going to do a trial run. I'm going to turn these speakers down a little bit, and you're going to turn my mic up. Because then online, is just going to pick up more, and in here, it should balance out. So I'm going to turn this down a little bit. Is that the one? There it is. So I'm turning that down there. And you're turning me up on there. And then I'm going to turn this one down. And then we'll see if people keep complaining online. And then if they keep complaining online, I'm going to do this real quick. I'm just going to turn this off before I say it. They're back and we're good to go. All right. There we go. So... It wasn't recording, so watch, th watch that mic was on or something. They can still hear. I love you. I love you all. All right. First Peter chapter number 3, and we are continuing on here. And uh, let's think about Jesus for a minute, okay? Can we do that? I want to talk about Jesus for a minute. As you say, well, are we gonna talk? we're going to talk. We talk about Jesus all the time. Jesus is the center of everything that we do. Let's just talk about some of the things that Jesus has done in our lives. Do you realize that Jesus has brought us in and unified us with the Father. We're one in Him, right? So He's unified us, right? Jesus had compassion on us. He saw us where we were and had compassion on us. Jesus loves us. He loved us so much that He's willing to give His life so that we could be set free. Jesus not only loves us, but there's a word we don't use often, the word he pitied us. He's tender-hearted about us, there's, and we'll talk more about this later on today. Jesus is very kind to us, when we don't deserve kindness. He's very gracious to us in, in his response to us. He's done all of those things for us. We get to our text today, and as we look here, I know that Peter was a preacher. Because I can tell that right away. He uses the word finally in verse number 8. Now, you all know, and I know, it's, there gets a point in the message where you're going through a message, and the pastor says, all right, and we're just about done finally, and you're all thinking, time to get the shoes back on, time to get ready to go. There's still two chapters to go. And so I tell, he's a Baptist preacher, I would say Peter was, because he's saying he's getting their attention. But in all honesty, as we look at this, many people have different thoughts when it comes to this passage of Scripture. And may I just remind you that as men, that's what it is. We have thoughts. And I sincerely believe that the Spirit of God can speak to one person about a passage of Scripture differently than he speaks to another person about the same set of Scripture. And as long as it fits with the Scripture and the text, then it's okay. If you start going off on your own little rabbit trail with it, then there's an issue there. I've heard many a sermon that I would say is exactly right. I've seen many um, books that I've read where they say, this is finishing up talking about the husband and wife relationship. Because you 
be the beginning of the chapter right here. And I would say that that's, that's true, and I don't disagree with someone who would say that. But my take, and as I've been studying this, I look back to chapter 2. And we've seen a while now how a Christian is supposed to live in this world. We see how our response to government should be. We see how our response to our employer should be. We see how Jesus responded, and we see the husband and the wife relationship and how to respond in those. So my take this morning is that, as he says, finally he's tying up all of this together and saying this is how we should try to live in the world we live today. So as we look at this and we go through here, you know, every once in a while I'll preach a message to you and I'll be like, I've said a lot of things and all you got to do is really get this last point. This last point brings it all home. This brings home what I believe he's been talking about for a chapter and a half almost now. Finally, let's read it together. Be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Let me ask you a question before we dive into this message today. How many of you want to love life and see good days? How many of you want that? I think everybody, you want good days? How many of you, anybody want a bad day? You want a bad day. Anybody want a bad day? It's a bad day. Do bad days come? Of course we do. We all want good days, right? When we look at this passage today, there are several things I want to remind you about and help you. Today. Now, this is the thing. We have flesh, each and every one of us. And as long as we have flesh, we're always going to struggle to do some of the things that are mentioned in this passage today. That doesn't mean we don't work at it and strive for it. Peter, 2,000 years ago, wrote to the Christians that were scattered abroad and in different places how to live the Christian life 2,000 years ago. May I help you today? What this whole, what First Peter, though it was written 2,000 years ago, it applies today just like ever. And there are several things that we should be striving to do in this world today. We are supposed to be light in a dark world. Am I right on that? Supposed to be salt in this world, right? And so what should be some of the things that stand out about a Christian I heard someone say a long time ago, in last service they were half asleep, so I had to repeat this like three times for them to get it. But I heard this said years ago, your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I'll say it one more time for some of you that are still thinking about that. Your walk talks. The way you live says a lot. Your talk says a lot. But the way you walk speaks louder than the way you talk. It's one thing to say, I'm a Christian. But did you know in the Bible, the people that were first called Christians didn't go around town 
proclaiming to be Christians. We're Christians. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. No, people saw them. And look at those people. They are acting like Christ. They must be Christians. We shouldn't have to call ourselves Christians. The way we act should reflect that we are Christians. Now, didn't we just talk about how the Lord unifies us? How the Lord had compassion on us? How the Lord loves us? How the Lord is tender-hearted towards us? How the Lord is courteous and kind to us? How the Lord is graciously responds to us? And that's the way we should live our lives. The way he lives his and the example he set for us. So as we look at today's message, it's not going to be very long. You say, how long is it going to be? Not very long. And it just depends on what your term of very long is. You see, yours could be 10 minutes is very long. And if that's it, it's going to be very, 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 very long, okay? If your term of very long is like 30 minutes, it's going to be very long somewhere in there. So it all depends on all that. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, we love you. We need you this morning. Thank you for being our God and thank you for being who you are. Pray that you guide us today and help us today in this passage. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I know you might think to yourself this morning, it is hard to live for Jesus today in this world. I would tend to argue, I think it was harder to live back in those days than it is today. The persecution they faced Nero, we've talked about him and his onslaught against Christians. And I understand there's that peer pressure day. And we look at our world today, I really believe sincerely, you look at our world today, our world's being very, they tolerate a lot of things. But when it comes to Bible truth, the toleration's not there. But I wouldn't expect the world to tolerate the things of God. They never have and they never will. But we're getting to the point, and I believe, and this is my thoughts, I believe we're getting back to the point where you are going to be persecuted for standing for the truth. And if not, it's going to come at some point. It's bound to. It's going to come. I don't want it to come. I like to preach up here and not worry about getting in trouble for everything I say. But there could come a day, and probably sooner than later, that could happen. So Peter is helping these Christians spread all over how to live their lives in light of their day. And I believe that this passage speaks to us how to live today. Number one, as we dive in, we see we are to live out our faith. We as God's people need to live out our faith. Now I know we don't always do a great job of it, and we fail at it multiple times before we get it right. I get that. And even when we get it right, the next minute we mess it back up. I know how I am, and I'm sure... Oh, do we have a bunch of perfect Christians in the room here today? I'm, I'm just talking about myself. I mess it up all the time. Like this list of things we're going through here today, I'm good if I get one of these right in a 24-hour period. And then I mess it up right after that. because Oh, I did good, and then I do bad again. I wish it was the other way around. But our goal should be, and as we look at the Scripture, we should live out our faith. Live for the Lord. And there are several ways the Bible tells us here. And as we look at these things, look at verse 8 and 9 with me. It says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brother and be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. 
And as we look at these things today, and even if you were to take this and say this is just the husband-wife relationship, these are great things to do in your marriage. If you could do these things, this would be awesome. If you could do these things with your fellow Christians in your church, this would be awesome. If you could live your life with the, the people around you in this world and still have compassion and still do what's right even when you're trading around, that would be awesome. So all these things are great things for us to do. So letter A, as we dive in, how, what should we display in our lives? The first thing, we need to be unified. Finally, be all of one mind. Do you see that there? You got to understand something. This world, you look at this world and the way the things in this world run. Look at Congress. They're never unified. Never. And maybe there might be some that are, but then the rest aren't. They're never, it's crazy. I'll just say this, church should never resemble Congress. It shouldn't. And yes, there are a lot of people in a church that make up lots of different, we have lots of different ideas. Like some of you in here. I'm sure there's someone in this room, you hate the color gray. And you just look at the floor, gray. You look at the seats, gray. You look at the walls, gray. I hate gray. I'm not going to ask anybody hates gray today. But some people don't like gray. Some people in here, you might love gray. And you know the world goes back and forth. One day, gray is modern. One day, brown is modern. I'm still waiting for the avocado green to go back in style for the kitchens. Hopefully it never will. Or that amber color 70s. Let's just keep that stuff away, okay? We don't need those colors to come back. If you want to keep switching between grays and browns, that's fine. But keep the, that green and that amber, orange-ish, keep that out. That'll be fine with me. And uh, we are not all going to agree on all that stuff. In a marriage, you're not going to agree on everything. You have two imperfect people living together living a life together in marriage, you're not going to agree on everything. But there are fundamental things that should keep us together. We think about in a church, we have our, our mission statement, we have three things, exalt our Savior, edify the saints, and reach the lost with the gospel. I think if you were to look at the Bible, I believe that's what God, and there are a lot of other things a church can do as well, but I say those are the three top priorities. So this is the thing, we might all disagree on a paint color, or whatever, you might not like my pulpit. You don't preach behind it, so don't worry about it. You'll be just fine on that one. I, I'm thankful for my, I love my pulpit. I like it. I like it a lot. The only thing I don't like about it now is I used to be able to, in the old one, if you, I said something I didn't think you would like, I could duck in case anything got thrown at me. This has got holes in it, so you can actually throw stuff at me now. And so it's the only thing that scares me every once in a while. But I never say anything bad anyways, right? But anyways, as we look at this, be unified. So when we talk about this and you think about these thoughts, the early church, they were unified. When they were unified, God did great things in the church. We think about Acts 2, verse number 46, it says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Chapter 9 even talks about they had rest in the churches as they were in one accord doing God's work. Look, listen to what Paul said in Philippians 2, verse number 2, Fill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to fellow Christians, we need to be unified together. You see, we can survive the attacks on the outside if we're unified together. May I just remind you, a marriage can survive the attacks 
on the outside are the ones that come in if you're together. That's the way it works. And so as a church, we might disagree on a paint color, or maybe you don't like chili and you're upset about the chili tonight. Maybe I don't know. And if you don't like chili, more for me. That's great. Um, but we have three. This is our main objective here, to exalt Jesus Christ, to edify the saints, and to reach the lost. If we're busy being unified on those things, the smaller things don't matter as much. Because really, who cares if the walls are gray or if they're pink or purple? I pray they are never pink or purple, and, you know, but that would, be a little, that would be a little crazy there. But the wall color doesn't matter. What matters is lifting up Jesus Christ. What matters is building up God's people. What matters is reaching the lost with the gospel. If we keep our focus and are unified on the major things that matter, those small things won't be as big of a deal. Does that make sense? And so what can we do as we live out our faith? Where does it begin? We need to be unified. Say, well, why does this need to be said? Because everyone has opinions and everyone likes to be right. How many of you like to be right? Come on, we all like to be right. Ask you if you know you're right. Because some of you would raise your hand for that. No, I know I'm right. We all like to be right, and most of the time we think we're right. And so if our opinion differs with someone else, it's easy to be in conflict with one another. So that's why as we look at a church and we look at the marriage, we look at how a Christian should live, we got to be unified together for the common cause of what the Lord has for us. Unity is important. This world's not unified. God's people need to be unified. And man, it's amazing how many Christians tear down other Christians. We tear down other churches because they're not just like us. Now may I just help you with something? The gospel, if the gospel is preached, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and salvation by grace through faith, if a church preaches those things, then they're good. So what if they don't use the same Bible I use? If salvation is right, they're good. What if they have strobe lights? Then they have the strobe lights. What if they have a fog machine? Then they have the fog machine, okay? I would probably start coughing with a fog machine in here. But maybe I, you, we wouldn't have to see each other if we had a fog machine. That's an idea right there. Do it one time and see what happens. Someone teased me they're going to bring a fog machine in one time. And uh, you say, do you like fog machine? I really don't like a fog machine in church. There's places you can have a fog machine if you really feel you need one. But if the gospel is preached, do you realize heaven's not going to be broke up in little sections? Here you got your, this is Baptist corner right here. And then you got your independent Baptists that are around everything right here. They're away from everyone else. No, it's not going to be that way. The Calvary Chapel people aren't going to be in the, We're all going to be together. Do you realize that? Some of the people you talk so against, they're going to be in heaven right next to you going to change your mind just a little bit then quit talking bad about people love people we'll talk more about that in a minute let's be unified as a church as believers in jesus christ it's not our job to tear down other believers in christ that doesn't mean i got to go to their church or be in their fellowship but i don't need to tear them down we need to be unified letter b we need to have compassion compassion. I believe these go hand in hand. The Bible says right here, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, having compassion. And when we think about compassion, it speaks of sympathy to feel with others, sharing in their difficulties. 
We as believers need to share in the struggles of others. We need to bear one another's burdens. If someone's rejoicing, hey, let's rejoice with them. If someone's weeping, if someone's bearing a burden, let's bear the burden with them. That's what compassion is. The scripture tells us, and some have compassion making a difference. The Bible tells us about Jesus in Mark chapter number 6 and verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and he was moved with compassion towards them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Aren't you glad that Jesus had compassion? Aren't you glad he cared for the lost sheep? Aren't you glad he cares for you? He had compassion. He did something about it. God's people today need compassion. In our marriages, we need compassion. In our churches, we need compassion today. We, as the pe- we need to have compassion. Now we look around, and I don't understand it. And I'm, I'm going to... So are you meddling a little bit? Yeah, I am just a little bit. Just a little bit, not too much. You know, some of us in this room, it would do you a lot of good to start viewing other Christians through Jesus' eyes and the compassion he has. I just don't like that person. Why is that person like, and I hear that often. It's a shame that that would ever be said in God's house among God's people. And I'm not saying everyone in the room needs to be your best friend. I get that. Sometimes oil and water don't mix very well. I get that. But you can be nice. You can show compassion. If we would look at people through Jesus' eyes, you say, why is that person always so grumpy? Maybe they just are having a hard time in life. And they need someone to be nice to them. That's how Jesus viewed it. He had, he had sympathy. We need sympathy for God's people. We need to have compassion. Which leads to the letter C. We need to love one another. Love is brethren. We need to love one another. I might, I might love you, but I don't like you. I have, I've heard that one before. God's people should be characterized by love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. That's John 13, verse 40, uh, 34 and 35. We need to love one another. God's people need to love one another. And all these things go together. I believe that if you get a, pa- a compassion in your heart for people, you will love them. Because your eye affects your heart. And when you get your eyes right, and when you start seeing people like Jesus sees them, it will help and change you. Hey, if you haven't witnessed anyone in a while, and you haven't shared the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody, you need to start looking at the lost through Jesus' eyes. See the compassion he has. And when you get that compassion, you will love to do it. We need to love people. Not just the people who are kind to us. All people. Love certain people enough to give them the good news. We should love people. We should, it doesn't say anywhere that you're going to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ because you wear a suit to church or you parted your hair just right like pastor does. And it is just about perfect today. I don't know how that ended. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say if you carry your Bible in your arm, everyone's going to know you're a Christian. No, they're going to know you by your love for one another. We need to love one another. We need to love one another in this room. And we need to love those outside of this room. We are to live out our faith. It begins by being unified. It continues with having compassion on one another. Now, as we look, I think these build on one another. We see where to love one another, then letter D. Are we on D? Be tenderhearted. 
Tenderhearted would be more of a word we would use today, and even that, and it has to do with compassion. But it says be pitiful right there. And when we look at that and we think about this, it goes hand in hand with compassion. And while they're similar, they reveal separate actions. So to be tenderhearted is to be sensitive and affectionate towards the needs of others, to be moved with tender feelings over the pain and suffering of others. And so when we look at this, pity or tenderheartedness does not encourage or condone sin or rebellion, but it's sensitive to the needs of others, sensing their great need and compelling us to act on their behalf. I would look at it this way. Tenderheartedness. In all reality, and you can say you disagree with me all you want, and you can't. Because I know I'm right, and no, I'm kidding. That was, I said that earlier. You look at the actions of people. There is normally a reason behind why people act the way they do. I'm not condoning or saying it's okay. And I'm not saying continue there. But most people the way they act and the actions that they do, they have gotten from something that has happened in their life. Tenderheartedness is looking at someone who's broken and hurting and maybe hurt you and looking at how can I help them get out of where they are and help them move forward. That's what tenderheartedness is. And let's be honest, you can look around this room, and everyone looks great in this room. There are a lot of broken hearts in this room. A lot of broken pieces. Thank God for duct tape, right? He does a lot with duct tape. He does a lot to make us better. But there are a lot of people that are hurting in this room this morning. They might not look like it on the outside. But on the inside this morning, they're hurting. And then they're a little mean to you. And you write them off and never want to talk to them again. And you have no idea what's going on in their life. There are, and I got to be careful how I word what I say. There are some people that might annoy you the most in this church that have the biggest struggles in their life. And if you would stop and look at them the way Jesus looks at them and love them and try and be a help, and you can't make someone get help. You can't. You can do the best you can. And we're called to be like Christ. Living out our faith looks like being unified. It looks like um, having compassion. It looks like loving. It looks like being tenderhearted, letter E. It shows courtesy. The Bible says be courteous right here. This speaks of humility among men. Being lowly in mind, it means to offer oneself as lowly and submissive. We need, this is the thing, we need to be reminded of the need for courtesy. We need it today. We need to prefer others better than themselves, as the scripture says. The church does not exist to serve those who make it up. The church is here to serve everyone. You're not here to make yourself look good. You're here to lift up Jesus Christ. I hope you don't come in this morning to be, I need a blessing. You should be giving a blessing. It shouldn't be, 
I need someone to reach out to me today, it should be, who can I reach out to today? Who can I show the love of Christ to? As we look at this and we continue on, we see how important it is just to be kind. Be kind to each other. Then letter F, respond in grace. Respond with grace. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. When someone responds wrong to you, you don't have to respond wrong back. When that, what did we read about our Savior? When he was railed against, he didn't revile back, right? He didn't, when they did evil to Jesus, did he do evil back? No. We need, and what did he do? He responded with grace, and we need to respond with grace. But that's hard. When someone's mean to you, you want to be mean back. Or is that just me? Am I? Uh, some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, I would never be mean back. I would. In fact, sometimes there's great joy in thinking about that one. It doesn't make it right. It's not right. You are not supposed to render evil for evil. Oh, but they did this to me, so I'm going to love them. Show compassion on them. Be tenderhearted. I didn't show you the verse about tenderheartedness, but Ephesians 4.32. Could you go back to that one, Joe? Sorry, I skipped ahead. Be kind one to another. And this is where the word tenderhearted, like, it's like pity. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you know a key to being able to forgive others is the tenderheartedness that we talked about a few minutes ago. That's a whole other message I could spend hours on that maybe we'll get to at some point. But as we go back to where we were, this thing about responding with grace, respond right. It's not easy. And I remember as a kid, some things that happened in my life. I remember I was sitting down with my mom, and my mom helped me with this one. And my mom, you know, sometimes I'm a little straightforward and blunt with how I just throw it out. You know, like, you could have been a little nicer the way you said that. I probably got it from my mom. My mom just, she was just, she was very quick with it and got it out. But this is what she said, Brian. God's not watching how they treat you. God's watching how you respond to how they treated you. Just because they treated you wrong, Brian, doesn't mean you've been given the excuse to treat them wrong. You need to respond with grace. But they don't deserve it. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. That's what Jesus did for us. We need to respond with grace, not rendering evil for evil. I think about what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Recompense to no man evil um, for evil, providing things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I have people tell me of that verse. Pastor, it's just not possible. It says, if it be possible, and for me, it's just not possible. With the Lord, all things are possible. Remember that one. So if it be possible, as much life in you, live peace be with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I've heard people say, I'm just helping the Lord do his work. By getting even, the Lord doesn't need your help on that one, okay? And then look at this last. Fourth, thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You're like, that's exactly what I'll do. 
I'll feed them. I'll give them something to drink. I'll be nice, and I hope it holds a fire on top of their head. The whole purpose has gone out the window if that's the way you're living it. I th- and if we were to break down what the heaping coals of fire on his head really meant, it's not really quite as bad as you're hoping that it would be. But the last verse, verse 21, ties it all together. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When your evil spoken of, when evil's been done to you, when these things take place, don't let that evil make more evil come. But take that evil and overcome that evil with good. That's not easy to do. And I, I understand because you know, that person doesn't deserve me to be good. We didn't deserve God to be good to us either. That's why we respond with grace. God's unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Respond with grace. As we look at this, that's a lot of stuff right there. And that's just point number one. Point number two this morning, Roman numeral number two, is we see that we're called to do this. Now, everyone, I love, people have different teaching styles. And it kind of shows their personality in the way that they teach. And you could look at this. There's two, two things I see in the same verse. Look at the end of verse number nine there. It says, um, Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So there's two things that we see. So there is, I've heard people say, you do those things because if you do, God's going to bless you, and there's a blessing in it. And I do believe that that's true. But I also see the first part there, that we're kind of called to do this. Sometimes we look at God and we look at his stuff, and it's like, well, okay, let's, let's talk about giving for a second, okay? I'm not going to tarry here long. It's just a thought. If I don't give, God's not going to bless me, so I give because God wants, God wants to bless me. That's a wrong attitude for giving. God loves a cheerful giver, the Scripture says. And we don't give grudgingly or of necessity. I give because of all that the Lord's given to me. How could I? I don't want to look and say, I'm going to obey God because I get all these benefits and blessings. I want to obey Him because He told me to. We need to do these things because we've been called to be light in this world. We've been set apart. Remember, we're the royal priesthood. We're set apart. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called to do these things. We've been called to be unified. We've been called to have compassion. We've been called to love one another. We've been called to be tenderhearted. We've been called to be courteous with one another. We've been called to respond with grace. That's what a Christian should do. We've been called this. We've been set apart. We are being conformed into the image of his son. This is how we're supposed to live. We're called to live this way. And as we look at this, and as we tie these things, you've got to understand something. You look at that, and that's awful hard to look at sometimes. I am called to do this, and it's not easy. It is not easy to respond right to someone who's treated me wrong. It's not always easy to love somebody who doesn't love me back. It's not easy to be, have compassion on some people. 
We're called to do this. So as we get ready to close this morning, I want you to see number three that will help us here. We must resist the urges of the flesh and portray a Christ-like example to the world. Verse 10 and 11 give us our closing thoughts here on that. It says, For he that will love life and see good days, what can we do? Let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips if they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And I love the next verse. The Lord's eyes, he's there. He sees all those things. There's lots of things we'll talk about next week about that there. But as we look at this thing, you've got to understand, our flesh wants to do the opposite. Our flesh likes to have our way and doesn't care if we hurt anybody in the process. Our flesh doesn't want to have, we want people to have compassion on us, but we don't want to have compassion on people. Our flesh wants to be loved, but we don't want to love anybody else. We don't want to respond with grace. We want to respond the way we want to. Well, as we look at this, and as we close, the, the urges of the flesh appear. There are three ways I see listed here. And I think these three ways kind of talk about all the things we talked about today. The first one, letter A, is in our words. Our words. Man, when someone hurts you, one of the first things you just... And some of, some of us in this room, you got a quick, tr- quick trigger. Quick mouth. Look what it says here. It says, Let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. When we think about the tongue, a harsh or hurtful word causes division. A harsh or hurtful word ruins the love that people have. Our words matter. And sometimes in these situations, it's easy. You've got to be careful. Our words, that's what the Bible says about our words. The death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words matter. And once you say them, you can't get them back. You need to be wise before you say them. Every once in a while, something will happen. And I'll get a little ticked off. I'm, I'm speaking about Brian's sin right now, okay? Not anybody else's sin. Say, do you ever get, I do get ticked off every once in a while. What I oftentimes do when I get ticked off is I write a letter in my office. Say, why do you write a letter? I just do. I need to vent it out. Caroline's been married for a long time. She knows I don't keep up inside very well. They just come out. And sometimes they come out too fast. And that's not, that's not a good thing. That's a weakness in Brian's life. That's a fleshly weakness in Brian's life. So why do you write a note? I write a note instead of saying anything out loud. And isn't it amazing that sometimes, you know, something seems so bad, and then you wake up the next day and it's like, why did I get so upset about that? It's not as bad as I thought it was. But then you've already said all the words and you can't take those back. So many times I'll write a letter and with, by the next day or the next two days I shred it in the shredder. I used to, you know, do it like a text message and then just delete it, but what if you hit the sent instead of delete? That's not the way to do it. Do it in a letter, that's the way to do it. Say, Pastor, you got any letters in your desk right now? Don't go in my office and look in, my, in the drawers of my desk. Don't do it. If you see your name on top, no, I'm just kidding. Let me help you out with something else. This isn't even part of the message. But be careful 
Okay, so in our words, nowadays we have all these digital words. Help yourself out. Don't resolve conflict through a text message. And don't deal with conflict through a text message. Remember a while back, someone came to me here in church and I, Pastor, so-and-so's mad at me. I'm like, okay, did you guys talk? They sent me a text. Okay. They show me the text. Like, you don't know, is there a tone there? I don't see a tone. You can't get someone's tone from a text message. And some people are very short and to the point on their text messages. That doesn't mean that they're mad. It just means that's just how they are on a text. And some older folks in this room, it's just a miracle they even text two words. It takes them, you know, it took them an hour to respond to me. Well, some of them, it takes that long to do that. And I get that. But don't respond to conflict through texting. Last service, I had someone said, just put the right emojis afterwards. No, that doesn't work either. I had someone the other day that I was texting with here from church, and they sent me that mad face one. I'm like, okay. And then, oops, didn't mean to send that one. I don't even remember who it was. I'm like, okay. And, and you know, you can't always trust those. There's, a, there's an older lady in our church that sends me kissy faces all the time. And I don't understand what that's all about, but oops, hit the wrong one. And I don't know if she sends other people a lot of kissy faces. I don't know. I got to show my wife the kissy face ones, you know. It's like, but anyways, don't resolve conflict through a text. If you can't deal with someone face-to-face, at least call them and you can hear the tone. And if you can't hear very well, do it face-to-face, okay? Leave it there. But our words matter. The, what we say, the Bible tells us in James 3, verse 5 and 6, even so the tongue, it's a little member and boasts of things. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. No forest fire starts huge. It's one spark. And that's what the tongue does. It can destroy a forest. It can defile the whole body. Tongue's not very big. It can defile the whole body. And so as we talk about these things in our flesh and the desires that we have, we've got to be very careful in our words. You want to have, have a good life and see good days? Use your words carefully. And I think all this ties together with everything that we've said, letter B, about in our witness. Look at the, it says at the beginning of verse 11, let him eschew evil, not eschew like a sneeze, but eschew evil and do good. Get away from it. Stay clear of it and do what's right. It's similar to what we were just talking about here a few minutes ago. But Peter knew this would present an undeniable witness before the Lord in this world. Try to live your, try to do what's right. Abstain, the Bible uses this phrase, abstain from the appearance of evil. As a Christian, just stay clear of bad. Go to the good. It helps your witness. We need to be a good witness. When I was, uh, Mona mentioned being a police chaplain, when I when I signed up to be a police chaplain, I had to go through an interview just like any other cop would. I had to go to do a polygraph test. That was a weird thing. You know, didn't know what to expect. And you had these officers telling me, the guy that was helped doing my interview and all that was lying to me about what the polygraph was going to be like. And, and I'm there doing all these things. They literally went through everything of my background. 
they know more about me probably than anyone in this room. Maybe even my wife knows probably 99.9% .9 of me on that. They know just about every little thing, things you don't have a clue about. And I'm glad that when it was done, they're like, a guy like you should be a pastor. That was what I got told. I'm glad I learned how to lie against the polygraph and they didn't know. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But our witness matters. It does. Let her see in our walk. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it or pursue it. It's amazing when you look at these things and you put the, just look at this for a second. So we were told, look back in those verses, we were told to be of one mind, to have compassion, to love, to be pitiful, be courteous, and to be gracious in our response. Then we see down here, if we want to have a good life and see good days, we're going to reframe our tongue from evil. Now let's look back. Where could you take our tongue and apply it to what we looked at in point number one? I think uh, being unified, you can ruin that with your tongue, right? You can ruin, I think you can ruin all these with your tongue. And if you disagree, that's fine. This one about not doing evil, but doing good. So there are several here that would apply under that. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. And then let them seek peace and ensue it. So seeking peace, if we're going to be of one mind, if we're going to be unified, you better be seeking peace and not be seeking disunity, right? If you're going to be, if you're going to be, have compassion, you're going to have to be peaceful, if you're going to love, you're going to have to be peaceful. If you're going to be courteous and all these different things, peace fits into all these. Do you see how the things that we're supposed to do line up with if you want, to, if you want a good life and see good days? You've got to watch what you say and watch that your tongue doesn't speak evil things. You need to, as we looked at here when it talks about staying away from evil and do good, and then in our walk, we need to seek peace and pursue peace. And it will help us do the things we're supposed to do. You see that? It's amazing. I love the Bible. The Bible gives you everything. gives you all the recipe. The other day, well, yesterday, I got a new chili recipe. And you know, why mess with a new one? I know the old one was full. I should have just did it alone. But I'm like, I'm tired of the old one. I need a better one. And I lost the link to where I saved my old one. So I couldn't find the old one exactly. And I did win first place one time here with my last one, so I wanted to go different this time. And so the whole thing is it gave me three different things to put in, and it didn't give me measurements for it. Now, the type, okay, so this is the way I am. Major things, and when I cook major things, I want to know how much they want. Spices, I do not, whatever they say with spices, I spice things the way I want to, and I might add more, add less, based on what I see as I taste it. That's just me. And so, if it says, you know, a teaspoon of this and that, whatever, I don't even care if it didn't give me that. I'll figure it out myself. But when it comes to the main things, so my, so there's two different types of meat in here. And so, it told me how much to use of one meat. But the other one, it just gave a generic thing. And I'm like, how am I supposed to know? You say, do you know to this? I don't know. I added what, what I thought would be good. Sometimes on recipes, things like that happen. I love how the Bible, God says, hey, 
you need to be unified. You need to have compassion. You need to love. You need to be tenderhearted. You need to be courteous. And you need to respond with grace. Now, watch your words. Watch what you, your walk. And look at these different areas of your life. That's how you do it. He gives you what you need to do and how to do it. That's what makes the Bible so wonderful.